Hello and welcome to another episode of The Good Vanilla, a Barefoot Contessa podcast where the chicken stock is homemade, store-bought is just fine, and the vanilla is always good. I am your host, Nick Kachanov, and it is officially cocktail hour because this week, Ina is giving us all of her best tips and tricks to host the perfect cocktail hour. I initially wanted to do some sort of, like, St. Patrick's Day-themed episode, but I know... Ina wasn't about to drink any green beer, so a cocktail party in Ina's garden is the closest we're going to get. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, And this episode is called Cocktails for a Crowd. This is Back to Basics, Season 10, Episode 5. So let's get into it. So Ina starts out. She says, I'm Ina Garden, the Barefoot Contessa. I'm having a party and you're invited. And this is like some sort of, I've never seen this before. It's maybe like a subset of Back to Basics. It was like this, uh, as the opening credits were going, it said something about like, what did it say? Like barefoot celebrations. I'm not sure what this is about. But like in the midst of all that, she, Ina says, let the celebrations begin. And then she says, I'm throwing an easy garden party for the East Hampton Historical Society. They do incredible work and it's really something to celebrate. So she's making three hors d'oeuvres. The first one is caramelized bacon. She says, it's a little wacky, but really delicious. And then she's also making a potato basil frittata. It's a barefoot party classic for a reason. And then last but not least, for some real pizzazz, roasted shrimp and green goddess dressing. And she's also making smoked chicken with horseradish sauce and serving Marconi almonds with sea salt as well. And to top it all off, a champagne bar, which sounds great. Like I have, I shouldn't say conflicting thoughts on champagne. I still love champagne. I think that like, I feel like I was just champagned out. I don't know why Um, a lot of our close friends really love champagne. Again, I'm not against it, but if I was to have like, I guess this is probably the best way to have a cocktail party because we'll get into it later, you know, when she's actually setting it up. But it's kind of like a serve yourself sort of thing, because if you actually had like a cocktail party, you would have to like mass produce like all of these cocktails or maybe even like hire a bartender to like serve them. Mike, I'm trying to think of like my favorite cocktail, like my go to It depends on like my mood and what I'm in, uh, like where I am, I guess, too. And it also depends on like what time of year it is. Like if it's summertime, I'm definitely going to get like, or like spring, or if it's warm outside, I'm definitely going to get like a dirty martini, like extra dirty martini. I love them. Um, That's like probably like the fanciest cocktail I would get. I also really love an old fashioned. I really love whiskey. I really love vodka. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that I've had, like, I feel like when I was, like, in my late 20s, I feel like, you know, it was time for me to, like, everyone should have a signature cocktail. Not a signature cocktail, but just, like, their cocktail of choice. I think you can tell, not, you, it's not like you can tell a lot about their personality, but there is something to be said about, you know, someone's cocktail of choice. You know, is it something really sweet? Is it something that's going to be, you know, pack a punch, like a martini, or maybe even... A Manhattan or something like that too. I also love, really love a Manhattan as well. Um, but those are my those are just my initial thoughts on cocktails in general. But I would I would totally dig a champagne bar. Like the way that she has it set up, I'm just gonna well we'll put a pin in that for now because we'll get into it in just a minute. So Ina begins. She says, "I wanted to do something really special for the East Hampton Historical Society. I think they're amazing. So I thought to myself." 
a cocktail party would be really great. Just when everyone thinks you're going to make pigs in a blanket is the time where you want to make something really wacky. And then she gets into this caramelized bacon. She says wacky like seven times as far as like, I don't know why she's she's almost like, is bacon like too lowbrow for the Barefoot Contessa? I don't know. I think because she goes on to like, well, let's get into it. So she starts making the caramelized bacon. She's like, how good does that sound? So basically she makes like almost not a paste, but she puts... Um, like brown sugar, a half a cup of pecans, and then she grinds them in the food processor. And then she goes on to tell us how her friend Barbara, Barbara Libeth, her assistant, who I think is still her assistant, said that her mother used to make this at parties. So it's definitely like something that goes back, you know, I'd say to the 50s at least because, uh, I mean, I'd imagine that, or maybe even like 40s, who knows? But it's funny because I never even really, like I've heard of caramelized bacon, obviously, like, Oh my gosh, there's this great place um, near Pittsburgh. It's like outside of Pittsburgh and it's actually called Bacon. And I mean, for good reason. That's like, it's not all they serve, but they're known for it. And one time Keon and I went and we got like, you can get like flights of beers sometimes. Like if you want to taste things, they had a flight of bacon. Oh my Lord, it was so good. They had like a everything bagel bacon. They had, of course, the caramelized bacon. They had like a sort of... I feel like it was some sort of like spicy, uh, like honey spicy sort of situation that was also delicious. They had like a plain like applewood smoked bacon with like cracked pepper. It was incredible. I really love bacon a lot. Like I think we don't really make it that much at the house, but when I do get it, I try to get like the best bacon I can get. I, I actually, and I know it's like probably split down the middle, but I prefer my bacon a little bit fatty. I don't really love crispy bacon. I want it to be cooked, obviously, but I like it to be a little bit soft. Um, and I know other people fall on the other, on the other side of the spectrum with that, but uh, I'm team fatty bacon, <laughs> I guess. So let's get back to this recipe though. So she adds into the, the food processor after she uh, basically blitzes the brown sugar and the half cup of pecans. She has a little salt, a little pepper, and then for a little heat, an eighth of a teaspoon of cayenne pepper, which I think is cool. I think that's important. I think that's like a nice subtle, as long as it's not overwhelming, I think it's a really good balance uh, because the last thing that she adds is just like a little bit of maple syrup. I feel like it's like a tablespoon. And then she arranges like the slices of bacon. She's using really good apple slice, apple sliced, apple wood sliced bacon and arranges them on like a low sitting rack and like a sheet pan. And then she just like spoons the topping like right on top of the slices and then throws it in the oven. It looks, I could eat like that, whatever, like, like I said, it's not a paste. It's just like almost like a crumble, like whatever that is on top. I could eat that like in a bowl, like without being on the bacon. So the fact that this is like combined with bacon is just like a slam dunk because it just like caramelizes and gets like, it's basically dessert bacon. And I love salty sweets. I really do. I love like sweet and spicy, but salty sweet is also a really good flavor profile. That's like one of my faves. And right before she puts it in the oven, she's like, this is certainly one of the most outrageous hors d'oeuvres I've ever made. But in my experience, the most addictive. I don't know why. <laughs> we'll get into it later too, because... It's really funny when she's serving everyone the bacon because like she talks about how like everyone's expecting something highbrow so she's going lowbrow but I feel like she's also like a little 
embarrassed that she went that lowbrow. I don't think, I mean, bacon is kind of lowbrow, but at the same time, like, especially if it's like, no one's going to complain about this bacon, Ina. I don't know what she was worried about because in my opinion, this is like the equivalent of like shrimp, like bacon wrapped shrimp even, or even like uh, deviled eggs. Like they, they're like the quickest to go at a party. Like if I was at this cocktail party, I would eat all of the caramelized bacon before anyone even got there. <laughs> so there's that. So next, Ina introduces a little segment about the historical society in East Hampton. We meet Richard Barons, who is, uh, he's at the Mulford Farmstead. Great. Richard is the executive director, and he's setting up for a fourth grade class. Uh, he says that one of the things they teach the kids is what kind of games they played in the 17th century. So I feel like this is like if I was if you're like a kid growing up in East Hampton, you go to the Mulford Farmstead for like a field trip. I think field trips are so fascinating because like I used to I can remember the majority of mine when I was younger, um, but they were never like fun. They were always like I mean, I lived in obviously I'm from Pittsburgh too. So we would go to, I think like the furthest we went, it was called like Meadowcroft Village, maybe. And we we made like homemade candles. I, I remember that was really cool because you basically just start out with like the wick and then you just like dip it into the hot wax and then like let it dry. And eventually it just like builds up and eventually you have a candle and you like take it home and you're like, mom, like what I made. And she's like, great. And then she like throws it in the garbage. <laughs> but um it was fun. I mean, but field trips in general, like, I think it was just fun to kind of, like, get out of school for the day. Sometimes we would go to, like, the Pittsburgh Zoo. That was fun. I feel like we had an overnight field trip in fifth grade. This doesn't matter. Anyway, um, I will say that I love Richard's outfit. It's, like, this peachy salmon sweater with, like, light, like, almost like a combination of, like, lavender and blue, like, these pants. I totally wear this. But anyway, um, let's get into this potato basil frittata. So Ina tells us that usually frittatas are made for breakfast. I do love a frittata. Um, but her friend Anna introduced her to making them in a sheet pan that's a little bit more like conducive to like a cocktail party or just like kind of mass producing them. And as Ina's kind of cutting these potatoes up, she tells us that people often ask her for advice for cocktail parties. And her advice is keep it really simple. And it, it's like an almost like, duh. <laughs> like casual voice she's like come on guys but i i do agree but at the same time hosting is always going to be stressful even if it's like i've hosted really complex sort of like uh, not dinner parties so to speak but like when we have people over i'm always going to be a little bit of a basket basket case because sometimes like the timing just doesn't turn out so good or like maybe something's still cooking and you're worried that it's going to be too hot or too cold or whatever it's going to be like it's just funny because I feel like I've heard Ina in interviews say like the 10 minutes before guests arrive is like when she's like on edge the most and she's like I could just picture her like yelling at Jeffrey as he's like trying to help her but also messing everything up everyone gets stressed but it was just really funny she's like keep it really simple but even with simplicity comes challenges I would say but with all that being said Ina gives us a little bit of a formula for a successful cocktail party. So she says it's good to serve about five or six hors d'oeuvres, which I think is like pretty good. Um, she says she tries to serve meat, fish, and vegetarian options so everyone has something, even if they don't eat meat or whatever, there's always some sort of veggie selection. Uh, she also says she doesn't make everything herself. I am definitely on board with that. I feel like in other episodes, she says like make... I don't know. It's almost like make three things and also buy three things at the store. 
which I think is a good combo that I still kind of apply to all of my, you know, parties if someone's coming over. It's always just good for, like, to me, I don't want to just, like, sit down and start eating. Like, I like, I like socializing with, like, my friends and, like, having a cocktail and, like, having, like, something salty, like chips or nuts or something like that. And then you get into the meal. She also says um, she likes to serve everything at room temp, which I think is a game changer, to be honest, too, because I she does serve like sliced chicken for this. But I also think the length of the cocktail party is not that long. Like we'll get into it a little bit later, but it's only from six o'clock to eight o'clock. So I feel that that is like I feel like chicken would survive outside for that long. And she says that she calculates like six to eight hors d'oeuvres or like pieces of hors d'oeuvres per person. Which I feel like is a lot. I mean, <laughs> like for me, I, I would like bump that up to like 12 to 15, especially like once I start to get a buzz, I'm going to be like, bring on the bacon. <laughs> but there you go. Those are Ina's hot tips for uh, a successful cocktail party. So next we're back to these potatoes. So she dices four to six potatoes and sautés them in some butter. And then she's going to get started on the sort of like, I want to call it like a batter, but we'll call it like a mixture of sorts. So she whisks 12 eggs together and then 22 ounces of ricotta. Oh God, I love ricotta. I can eat ricotta cheese like out of the tub. I just think it's like so light and delicious. It's like, I I will eat cottage cheese. I don't mind it at all. Um, but I feel like ricotta is like cottage cheese with the volume turned up. <laughs> you know, it's just like easier to like to eat. I love it in lasagna. I love like an herb sort of ricotta situation for some, you know, I don't know if it's like a dip, but ricotta is great that's all i have to say she also throws in some grated gruyere which is like the king of all like it's like the it's like the king of like melty cheeses i believe that's what's uh served on top of french onion soup for anyone who might not be familiar with gruyere it's like oh it's just like it stretches and it's like gooey and uh, perfect uh she also mixes or she also puts in a, a stick of melted butter and then she puts chopped basil, flour, and some baking powder uh, into it as well because she does want it to rise a little bit, which is why the baking powder is in there. So next she assembles the dish. She layers like, she puts like the potatoes on the bottom and then she dumps like the cheese batter, if you will, on top. It's a really great idea. Like, honestly, I feel like I say this every episode, like I'm gonna make this and then I never do. So I'm gonna try to like hold myself <laughs> accountable for this because it does seem like a really good uh, like, what can I make for this party and make it? And it's really just like throwing every, like mixing everything and then sauteing some potatoes. And it's, it seems like a really, it seems like it would be a hit. So as she's putting that into the oven, she says, mmm, I smell caramelized bacon. But, but then she goes out to the garden. So the bacon's put on hold for a second. So Ina's in the garden. She says she's going to keep it simple. And uh, she's got lots of fresh, I think she says dahlias for her, from her garden. Uh, so next she gives us a little crash course on like casual flower arrangement. So, uh, she says she loves some buds to show. It doesn't have to be like, it doesn't all have to be the same height. She likes it also to simulate how like, she likes it to look like how flowers would grow in the garden, which I think is a really like clever idea as well too. P.S. like she's arranging these flowers in the middle of her garden. You could see like in the background, it really is something like magical her garden like I I know she probably has people like man, maintain it and stuff like that but like that would be I think my perfect Ina Garden day would to like I want to I would like want to spend the night at her house I'd want to wake up at Ina's I'd want to have coffee with her like maybe out on the porch maybe like snuggled up 
and her library. And then we'd do some shopping and then we'd come back and maybe do like a light lunch out in the garden or just like take a stroll through the garden with like a glass of champagne or like a glass of wine like late in the evening. Um, but I still want it to be daylight, so maybe not late in the evening. But this is all to say that Ina Garden's garden is what dreams are made of. I, I know everyone who's like really a fan of the Barefoot Contessa already knows this, but um, I'm sure you could Google it. Just just Google Ina Garden's garden. So after she arranges the flowers, she says, and if I'm lucky, it's the right size vase. She's like, I'm not always lucky. And she like kind of smirks at the camera. That is true. It's like you you hope that like the amount of flowers you have like fits into the vase and it doesn't like completely like separate too much. It's a, it's an art form. And speaking of an art form, she gives us, she also gives us a lesson on, it's almost like tablecloth origami. It is like very complicated. It's a box cloth is what she calls it to be more specific. It's just like the way that she folds it and folds it back. Like I, I tried looking at it. Like it, I would need to watch like a YouTube video on it. She's like, she said like, it takes a couple of tries. And then she like pauses. She's like, actually, it took me a lot of tries to get this right. It feels like something that like any like catering pro would be really good at. Um, so she folds the box cloth or into like the box cloth shape, I guess. And then she lays another like beautiful tablecloth on top of that. She It's like a beautiful floral pattern, but she, she kind of, what's the word, like tilts it. She kind of puts it like off center. Um, and she says, for something jaunty, I'll put this floral pattern here, uh, the tablecloth. It's really funny. And next she places the biggest bowl I've ever seen that's meant to hold the ice for the champagne. It's really huge, but like just big enough at the same time. And then she sets out a couple of liqueurs and also some brandy. So she puts out cassis, framboise, and then brandy uh, that she says she's going to pair with like a sugar cube. I forget what that cocktail is called. Um, but she mentions it later too. And then she says she's also going to put out some fruit juices, pomegranate, blood orange juice, and just some fruit to put in their drinks as well too. It is a clever idea. Like a lot of people these days do like a mimosa bar. And I feel like this isn't too far off from that. It's just like mimosa bar with the volume turned up. So next she starts uh, the roasted shrimp with the green goddess dressing. Really, she's just starting the shrimp at this point. And there's really nothing too exciting about roasting shrimp. So... You know, olive oil, salt and pepper, throw it on the oven, fine. And she says, while that's cooking, let's talk invitations. And so I really find this quite charming too, because I think Ina specifically, like I remember like she talks about like mailing invitations. Like she says, if it's a party for a crowd or a special occasion, like a cocktail party, I always mail invitations. It's kind of old fashioned, but really gracious. And I think it makes it more special. And I, I do agree, like... There is something about receiving, you know, an invite in the mail for like, first of all, getting mail is like always fun for me, I feel. But I remember like that sort of evolves like, I feel like evites were very popular, like before Facebook really came along. And then like, you just like make a, you can make like a an invite on Facebook. Uh, and, and like, I guess now it's just sort of been replaced by email, to be honest, or just texting someone and saying like, hey, I'm having a cocktail party this Saturday from, you know, four to seven. See you then. It's, it is very informal. But I do like the idea. Like, I feel like the art of letter writing and uh, specifically with this, like sending out invitations is kind of a lost idea. So I do like that she does that. I mean, I would love to get an invitation from Ina for a cocktail party. Are you kidding? 
So next she gives us um, a little bit of uh, things or like reminders of what to include on the RSVP. Like, you know, typical stuff. She says, like, make sure you write like what you're celebrating. Always ask for an RSVP because you really need to know how many people are coming. And then she says for cocktails, uh, you should really have an end time. And Ina writes like six o'clock to eight o'clock. And I am all for like an ending time. Like there, I feel like, what are they? I don't know if they're welcome mats or maybe it's just like, like a clever little sign that you can hang in your house that says like, <laughs> it says, please leave by nine. And honestly, yeah. I mean, I, I, that never happens at my house when we have a party and I'm always glad to have my friends there, but it just depends on like how many drinks I've had personally. I've fallen asleep at many parties, not because I'm like hammered. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like tired because uh, I'm really a, like an 80 year old man at heart too. But if the, if like the vibe is right, I can go obviously past nine o'clock, but I do for like an afternoon sort of, like a late afternoon, early evening cocktail party, especially with adults, or especially if you're hosting like some sort of organization like this, I think it's very important. I think three hours would be better than two hours. I feel two hours flies very quickly, but you know, it's Ina's party and she she makes the rules. So get out by eight. <laughs> so next she's making this green goddess dressing, which sounds like the gayest dressing I've ever heard in my life. But um, it's actually like a real thing. I thought it was just like something that she like made up or not made up, but like uh, sort of invented at Barefoot Contessa, like the specialty food store or something. But it's actually like a real historical sort of dip, I guess. So green goddess dressing was actually uh, invented at the Palace Hotel in San Francisco. And it was a nod to a successful play at the time that was called the green goddess. So hence the name green goddess dressing. And she tells us um, uh, that it is like meant for salads, but she's using it for um, the roasted shrimp, which I think is clever. So it's a cup of mayo, a cup of scallions, Typically, it, it's meant to be made with tarragon, but Ina says she's updating it to use scallions and basil instead. And then she adds some lemon juice, some garlic, and like a squidge of anchovy paste. And then she just like purees it for a bit um, in the food processor, followed by like one last dollop of sour cream. And then she pours it into a bowl and arranges the shrimp around it, and it looks delicious. I would totally try this. She also stacks up some celery uh, on the side as well, too. She says she has this like tip. It's I've never heard this before. She cuts the celery stalks in advance and then puts it like in a Ziploc freezer bag with ice and it stays fresh or like crisp is what she said. But maybe I heard her wrong. Maybe she puts it on ice as opposed to like having ice in the bag. I just don't know what the, like, the time frame is for that. Like, do you put it in the freezer because the ice is gonna melt? I don't know. I thought about it way too much and I, I, <laughs> I mean, clearly it was enough for me to put it in my notes. So if anyone else does that, let me know because I'm curious about that. Not that I really buy celery that often. Every time I buy celery, it's always like that. Like, I'm gonna get some celery and I'm gonna be healthy this week. And then it's like, like three weeks later, it's like in the back of my refrigerator. I'm like, why did I do this? But I do feel... Celery lasts longer, like it's it's a vegetable that can like sort of outlive and outlast like broccoli, for instance. You know what I mean? I don't know what it is about it, but I've I've eaten what I thought would be like suspect celery before, and uh, turned out to be great. So who knows? Anyway, celery is fine. 
Okay, so it's party time. She, Ina, is a busy bee. She is plating the caramelized bacon and the frittatas. They look beautiful. She also reminds us that it, that it is perfectly acceptable to buy some store-bought items. So she says that for this specific party, she bought some Marcona almonds. She puts them into a bowl and then kind of sprinkles on like some, it looks like coarse sea salt on top of it too. I feel like she's also done something with Marcona almonds where she like roasts them as well. Was that one of the California episodes? I can't remember. Anyway, um, she also bought some store-bought smoked chicken breasts, and then she kind of slices it onto a platter and pairs it with a horseradish dip. I like horseradish. My, I don't know why, my, my, my dad and my uncle, my uncle Bill, like, was obsessed with making their own homemade horseradish. And I don't, for anyone who has ever made horseradish, like, it is not to be messed around with it is so like he had to wear my uncle bill when he made it i think he had to wear like a gas mask because the fumes are crazy i feel like it's very like almost like mustardy like uh but i can i can take it like if it's on a sandwich if i could i like a horseradish mayo but i don't like it to be too powerful because i feel much like mustard like a little bit goes a long way and that's just i guess my preference but i would i would totally try this at the cocktail party but i would i, I as soon as i would taste the horseradish i'd be like oh i would like hope that it's ranch but obviously it's never going to be ranch at ina's but um horseradish is fine so next ina is outside putting the finishing touches on the champagne cocktail bar she puts out some strawberries raspberries and some sugar cubes for the brandy cocktail that I still can't remember the name of. Um, and she also puts some bubbly water and some fruit juice. And then finally the champagne. And she only puts out three bottles. I feel like she should put at least like eight. <laughs> I could drink like three bottles of champagne like myself in a night. Um, I don't know, especially for like, I'd say there's probably about 15 people coming. I don't know. I And I, I also know that this is like filmed for the TV show. So they probably show like smaller amounts of everything and then like once the real party actually begins they probably like bring out more champagne um she adds to she's like i think i'll ask some of the guests to serve the hors d'oeuvres that way they get really involved and she says like it's going to be like a great idea i would hate that if i was a guest i'd be like why am i serving everyone else these hors d'oeuvres but fine because i also think that Ina doesn't really have any help like in an ideal situation i would bet money that if if this was not being filmed that Ina would like hire someone you know like a staff to kind of like serve the hors d'oeuvres or maybe even run the champagne bar just to make that sure that everything is like replenished like I would do that for sure just just so like she could play hostess and just kind of like enjoy her time but instead she's like running around and recru like recruiting people to pass out hors d'oeuvres but nonetheless the party begins um, she's like, I think I might have my friend Frank, uh, pour champagne, or no, pop the champagne. But really, poor Frank is like stuck not only popping the champagne, but like pouring it as well. I don't think we've met, or we, I don't think I've had an episode yet where we talked about Frank. I'm going to put that on like my list of upcoming episodes. He's a gem. So Ina is playing hostess and she hands the potato basil frittata to, she's like, Laura, Isabel, I don't know who's who, but she hands the frittata to one of them. Let's just say it's Laura. And like Isabel's like about to walk away to help Laura. And Ina's like, you can come with me. I've got another one for you. And does her like nervous laugh. But Ina like, <laughs> Ina like grabs her by the hand. Um, and like she hands the shrimp to, I guess, Isabel, we'll say. And she's she's almost, like, nervous. She's like, can you handle this? She's like, don't fuck it up, Isabel. Uh, it's just, like, kind of frantic, but it's also kind of funny. Um, 
It just, I mean, it goes back to the whole, like, keep it simple. But, like, again, there's always going to be nervous energy when you're the host or hostess of any sort of party. So then Ina grabs the caramelized bacon, and she she's serving everyone. And she's like, can I offer you caramelized bacon for one of the wackiest hors d'oeuvres you've ever had? <laughs> I don't know why she keeps calling it wacky. She's like, she says, for one of the wackiest hors d'oeuvres you've ever had. She's like, but hopefully one of the best. And then she goes up to, like, another couple and hands them the bacon, too. But, like, th- like the woman of that couple, she's like, she's like, oh, my God, what a great idea. She's like, I love these. She's like, bacon makes everything better. And Ina's like, I like that. I like that motto. And then she does her nervous laugh, and it's fine. <sighs> it was... Um... And the party's over, like, really quick. Like, it's only, like, you know, obviously sped up for the time that we're watching it. But the last, like, the last minute of it is so good. She's like, the party's wrapping up, and you slowly start to see, like, people leaving. And she's like, goodbye, thanks for coming. And then (laughs) she's, like, walking from the garden into her house, and she's like, well, that was really fun. And it's 8 o'clock, and I've done everything I need to do today. (laughs) I don't know why it just, I I laughed hard at that. It's just like the craziest wrap up to that. Like, what a great I don't know what I would say instead. I would just say, um, what a great cocktail party. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I act like I can do it better. But I, if I had to like really think about what I would say, I wouldn't say it's eight o'clock and I've done everything I need to do today. I don't know. I would just say like time to relax. I'm going to pour a glass of champagne for myself and then like take a, take a bite of bacon or have like a whole plate of bacon and then like go to my bed. Um, yeah, <laughs> so that's the end of that episode. Um, a lovely sort of educational uh, cocktail party episode. I, I thought that was a lot of fun. It makes me excited for when everyone eventually has their vaccines and then I can host like a little party in my backyard. I will definitely take, I take most of Ina's party suggestions to heart, especially with the hors d'oeuvres. Um, you know, like three made, three store bought. I mean, the ratio kind of depends on, you know, how many people are coming over or what people are interested in. Um, and then I, another thing I've started to do recently, actually, I shouldn't say for like many parties, but like she does, like she just gets a piece of like paper that you would put like in a printer and then just writes in like Sharpie like what needs to be prepared. I, I, I don't think I've ever done like, I should start doing it to be honest. Um, like put, you know, put the, uh, whatever happens to be like in the oven at three thirty or something like that. And then put like the temperature that way it's like timed out perfectly because that that's some like mental math as far as like having everything like warm. But I think the one takeaway from this is for like a cocktail party, if everything can be served room temp to go for it. I think that's probably my takeaway from this. Uh, So thanks, Ina, for another great episode. And thank you for listening. If you want to follow the podcast on social media, you can follow it on Instagram and Twitter at GoodVanillaPod. And you can also send me an email at GoodVanillaPod at gmail.com. Also, I have made a group for the Good Vanilla on Facebook. Things are heating up over there. I saw people, someone commented about how much salt is being put into uh, Ina's recipes. She was a little worried that it might be too much. I agree. I will say Ina does love her salts. I do think that like there are most recipes where I will like half it or even like like maybe like a third of the salt that she uses I'll take away or something like that just because I don't really cook too much with salt. So when when you're making a recipe that really is, you know, designed by someone who uses salts and like salt and appreciates salt, it can be a little bit overwhelming. 
But anyway, go check us out on Facebook, The Good Vanilla. And if you are enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you want to know where to get more of me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Nick Kuchanov. And you can find me on my other podcast, The Best Supporting Podcast, every week with Colin Drucker. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Stay safe, and I'll see you next time.